the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yeah, we looked up the definition of longest-running. It just means old. That's all. <laughs> Good afternoon to you. Welcome. Welcome to the 10th day of September, 5.05 on the clock. Craig Roberts on your radio as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. We're here Monday through Friday addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and we'll do more of the same today. Coming up a little bit later on, we're going to have Brad Dacus, constitutional lawyer, join us for an update Interesting story out of Oregon. We'll tell you what's going on at Coles Valley Church and why you might want to um, prick up your ears on this one, particularly if you are part of a smaller church congregation. Details coming up. Also, we're delighted to have join us later on in this first hour best-selling author, Philip Yancey. He's just released a um, a new book, really a, a, a reprisal of a previous book that's combined together. Um, you might be familiar with his book, co-authored with the late Dr. Paul Brand, called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, A Marvel of Being, of Bearing God's Image. Well, um, he has re-released the book, com- combined the two. It's a very fascinating read and one that I'm sure you'll enjoy hearing about when best-selling author Philip Yancey joins us on the program a little bit later on here in the first hour of the show. If you pay attention to the news, we're doing that today. John Bolton out as National Security Advisor. Always something interesting going on in Washington, D.C. these days. Most people, I think, largely conclude if you take a big-picture view of government, it's broken. Congress has lower confidence ratings than the average used car salesman, ambulance-chasing attorney, or even <laughs> talk show host. We are $22.5 trillion in debt. Our budget deficit is now at $1 trillion, and um, these are supposed to be the best of the times. No, really. Along with that, of course, um, we've got legislation that comes out of D.C. That's typically stalled. Legislation that comes out of Sacramento, that's typically unhinged. And increasing numbers of Americans feel as if their vote doesn't count, they have no voice, and they have no power. Is that necessarily the case? Is that necessarily true? Well, my first guest tonight, I think, would say absolutely not. That's not true at all. Rita Dunaway is a constitutional attorney and author of Restoring America's Soul, Advancing Timeless Conservative Principles in a Wayward Culture. She's also co-host of the weekly radio program Crossroads, where faith and culture meet. And Rita, great to have you with us. Oh, I'm delighted to join you. Thanks for having me. What about this? This growing sense of frustration amongst Americans without regard to political persuasion, but I think particularly so on the more conservative side of the equation that says, gee whiz, you know, even if you're happy with what's going on in one part of the country, say Washington, D.C., then we here in California look at the craziness in Sacramento and say, gee, it just feels as if we can't get a break. 
Yeah. Well, I think your description of the situation is just so apt. It was such a good uh, setup for what I wanted to talk to you about. And that's the fact that I think one thing almost all Americans can agree on is that if our federal government is ever going to really be reformed, that reform is going to have to come from outside the beltway. And I don't mean by us sending good people to Washington. You know, we've been trying to do that for decades, and it hasn't gotten us any real meaningful reform to the broken structure in Washington. So it's time for us to use another tool. Undoubtedly so. And, you know, we've we've talked about encouraging good people, the right people to run. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they're effective. Um, other times they go in good and end up coming out to just sort of, you know, corrupted by the entire system, which is quite disappointing. But one of the things that you suggest, and I think is an apt one, we, we sometimes... I think falsely so, conclude that the totality of our responsibility to our nation is simply to vote. That's it. If we do it, we've been a good citizen. We've done our job. I hearken back to the remark that John Kennedy made in his inaugural address. Ask not what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Does that suggest that there is more to this thing of self-governance in our form of government than simply just showing up at the ballot box? Absolutely. There's so much more that we citizens need to be doing. And part of that means just showing up at your local government, your state government meetings, knowing what's going on at those levels of government and being involved in it. But what a lot of citizens aren't aware of is that even when it comes to the broken structure that you described of our federal government, you know, the massive government overreach that comes out of Washington, the the government meddling in issues that were always meant to be reserved to the states and the people, the insane, immoral amount of debt that our federal government has amassed. There is a tool the Constitution provides that we, the people, the citizens, can be involved in using that will actually provide meaningful correction and reform to that broken structure. And, of course, I'm talking about Article 5 and the Convention of States project. Uh, Explain a little bit deeper, uh, because a lot of listeners are perhaps not familiar with what that is. Yeah, well, Article 5 is the part of the Constitution that provides the two methods we have for amending the Constitution. And regardless of which of the two methods we use, amendments always have to be ratified by 38 states. So nothing is going to change or be added to the Constitution without 38 states supporting it. So when it comes to proposing amendments, that's where we get two different methods. The method we've always used in the past that hasn't gotten us where we need to be today is that Congress can propose amendments. Well, the problem with that is Congress is never going to propose amendments to limit its own power. And that's where the second method comes in. The second method allows the states, when two-thirds of the states agree, to gather and propose amendments on a particular topic, such as 
limiting federal power, imposing fiscal restraints on Washington, and setting term limits. And that's what the Convention of States project is all about. You know, we've we've tried term limits. Um, We certainly here in California have them at the state level. Uh, We've been stymied, as many states have been, trying to get it done uh, to a broader degree. And, and, you know, the reality is asking Congress to set limits on itself is just not in their DNA, is it? It's not. It's It's a pipe dream. You know, Congress is not going to do that. Its interest is in preserving and propagating its own power. And, you know, even the good people, when they get elected, most of them are interested in being reelected. That's just natural. And our founding fathers knew that. They knew that man is inherently sinful, and part of that is that man inherently wants to increase his own power. So that's why they knew we needed to have ambition, counteract ambition. We needed checks and balances. And what Article 5 does is it allows the ambitions and the desires of the state government to counteract the ambition of the federal government. Article 5 is one of the ways it lets us do that. And, of course, the irony is that uh, it was always the intent of the Founding Fathers to make sure that the greatest level of control, the greatest level of power, remained at the state level with the people, never at the federal level, And many people don't know, and you might, since you're a constitutional attorney, that historically, even matters such as the election of the Senate, the Senate was not elected by the people initially. Senators were elected by members of the House, and the idea was that the House was responsible every two years. A third of them had to answer to uh, their constituents, and if they were appointing people to the Senate level that weren't doing the job, there was going to be a price to be paid, and there was a greater degree of accountability that really had a greater sense of that sort of grassroots feeling as opposed to, well, somebody gets in, they're there for six years, they get comfortable. And before you know it, 50 years later, they're still seated as a member of the U.S. Senate. Absolutely. Yeah, the states really lost one of their abilities to check and balance federal power that way. But it's important for us to realize that Article 5 provides another way that the states can intervene when Washington becomes drunk with power, as I think most people would agree. And You know, you mentioned, you point out that the bulk of the power that governs us, the the bulk of the public policies that touch on our everyday lives, were always meant to come from the state and local level. And I think people, no matter which side of the political aisle they're on, people of good faith can agree that that's the way it should be. We should be able to decide for ourselves at the state and local level what policies will govern us rather than having those handed down from Washington. Folks want to get more information about how they can get more educated on the topic and, most importantly, um, take a greater sense of ownership of, um, uh, how should we say, uh, activist citizenship. How can they get informed? We have a role for every listener who is interested in this and who wants to stop complaining and do something to make a difference. Just go to conventionofstates.com. All right, an easy place to go to get more information, get plugged in, and help make a difference. Online at conventionofstates.com. That's conventionofstates.com. 
Com. Our thanks to Rita Dunaway for being with us, constitutional lawyer, author of the best-selling Restoring America's Soul, Advancing Timeless Conservative Principles in a Wayward Culture. Information, conventionofstates.com. 616, we're going to get you updated now on traffic. Head over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation as we continue on here, 521, the Tuesday edition of Lifeline. Remember the um, movie back in the 1960s, I think it was, Fantastic Voyage? Uh, the plot line essentially is that there's an assassination attempt on a scientist. In order to save him, a submarine with its crew is shrunken into microscopic size and injected into the man's bloodstream. And, of course, there begins the amazing adventure into the world of this wonderfully made body. You know, when you think about it, uh, we are wonderfully made. And as you think about the ways in which we can have that that understanding, deepening our, our, our contact with the wonder of what God has wrought in us, think about this. Uh, we can get a, um, a telescope and we can look to the planet's. We can maybe closer to home, look to the mountains and their splendor and glory, or maybe even easier, simply look in a mirror. Joining me today is a best-selling author who, in many respects, really needs no, no elaborate introduction. Um, he has more than 15 million books in print, published in over 50 languages. In addition to being, um, for many years, a contributing columnist to Christianity Today, he has a number of award-winning titles to his credit, including The Jesus I Never Knew and What's So Amazing About Grace. A few years ago, he teamed up with a um, highly respected physician and wrote a book. Now he's combined a couple of books together and updated them and re-released them into Fearfully and Wonderfully Made the Marvel of bearing God's image. And we're delighted to have join us on the program today, best-selling author, Philip Yancey. Philip, great to have you with us. Thank you very much. I've got a brother down in San Jose, so I get out your way every so often. Fantastic. Yes, I recall, in fact, we had a, we had a radio rally here a number of years ago at the station, and you came out and spoke for us. Right. So good, right. to, good to have you back on uh, here on the radio waves in the San Francisco Bay Area. And to talk about, well, I was going to call it a new book. It, it, it is of sorts, but it really is a, an updating, combining, and re-releasing of some of your work that you did several years ago with, uh, with Dr. Paul Brand. And, and Dr. Brand uh, himself is a, a legend in the medical realm. And reading through the book here, there's many things that I, I was familiar with him but had forgotten the number of incredible contributions that he made to medical science during his time, but perhaps most notably, and this is where you come in, uh, the two of you teamed up a number of years ago and really said, let's take a look at this big picture equation, sort of the intersection where science and faith meets, to help people better understand that this notion of science and faith is, is not mutually exclusive, as some would have us to believe. Absolutely. And Dr. Brand was an unusual man who at one point was offered the head of orthopedics at Stanford University. He turned it down to work with some of the lowest people on this planet in terms of social class. 
these were people of the untouchable caste, now called Dalits in India, who had leprosy. That's about as low as you can get. And here was this brilliant orthopedic surgeon trained in the best school, best medical school in London, who spent about 25 years of his career in India devising all these procedures to work with the disease and to rehabilitate people who had it. In the process, he changed the whole understanding of what leprosy does, how it works, why it's such a fear disease, and, and popped a lot of bubbles <laughs> about it. It's not very contagious at all. And the most amazing thing that he discovered is that all of the abuse that we're familiar with when you say the word leprosy, missing hands, missing feet, blindness, and all that, comes about simply because people do not feel pain. Leprosy destroys pain cells, and they actually do it to themselves because they don't have that protective system of pain warning them when they're hurting themselves. So it was it just blew my mind. The very first book I wrote, and that was, my goodness, I have to say, 40 years ago, I met him. It was a book called Where is God When It Hurts? And he had the most unique perspective of pain that I've ever run across. And we teamed up. I've, I followed him around for about 10 years and, and wrote up his his life and his stories and his integration of faith in science and medicine. But that was 40 years ago. A lot has changed. Science has changed. Medicine has changed. Uh, the Bible has not changed. <laughs> but uh, readers have changed. They, and I, I didn't want Dr. Brain to get lost. I wanted to introduce him to a whole new group of readers, a whole new generation, and to keep his legacy alive. Well, and not only because of the amazing contributions that he made to science, as you say, he was cutting edge when it came to the treatment of of leprosy victims. Um, He wrote one of the earliest manuals in the field of hand surgery. Um, and, and was a man that I think really had the capacity to to take a couple of steps back and to be able to look at science and to be able to, in the middle of his great understanding from a scientific medical viewpoint, never lose sight of the fact that there is an amazing creator behind all of this. And I think sometimes uh, scientists, I think after a while, and physicians, after a while, they're, they're so close and so deep in, particularly when they're involved in, in cutting-edge discoveries and so forth, that they begin to think it's all about them and less about God. You're absolutely right. I like your intro on the uh, Fantastic Voyage. Remember that? And a great and, film, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Dr. Brand said to me one time, we doctors, sometimes I feel like I'm on the complaint desk at a, at a retail department store. The only people we talk to are people who are upset about something in their bodies. And he said, actually, almost every symptom that they're complaining about is the body loyally trying to protect them. So, for example, you know, vomiting, sneezing, diarrhea, some of these things that, that we don't enjoy, fever, these are actually your body's way to get rid of, of toxins. Vomiting is an amazing process because all those muscles are made to move food down, not up. But when something really needs to get out of the body quickly and would pollute the digestive system, somehow those muscles redirect their energy so that they get that food out of there as fast as possible, and we all know how how violent that can seem. But uh, Dr. Brand never lost that sense of grandeur, awe, and gratitude for the human body and saw the design of, of God. And, and what an amazing perspective. I mean, to, to, to fully understand 
the attention to detail, you know, uh, there have been a number of scientists down through the years that um, approach their craft with a with a purely secular viewpoint, and, and we're kind of noncommittal as to whether or not uh, such a thing as intelligent design existed. Uh, I remember most notably um, a, a scientist from, I think, Columbia, uh, Dr. Michael Behe, when he came out uh, with his uh, analysis of the bacteria flagellum and the notion of irreducible design, that one single component removed from the design would would completely create a, a situation where it, it simply could not function, it could not operate. And so demonstrating that there had to have been some intelligence behind all of this in order to make it function so perfectly as it does. And to, to not lose sight, as you point out, and as, as certainly was a big part of what Dr. Brand was trying to encourage readers when he collaborated with you, to not lose sight of the fact that we are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. And even the things that sometimes science would put in the category as being our enemies, pain, fever, swelling, are actually warning signs, are actually designed to help sort of the body tell us, hey, danger, danger, Will Robinson, there's danger up ahead. <laughs> yes. One time I, I said to Dr. Brand, you've helped me befriend my own body. Because sometimes when things go wrong, we think of our body as the enemy, and we certainly think of some of those symptoms you just mentioned as the enemy. But it's not the enemy. It's your body trying to find a way to get back to normal, (laughs) to get back to health. And even uh, when you have a chronic or serious disease, 95% of those cells are working just as they were designed to working. It's It's just a few that are causing all the havoc, and your body is loyally trying to solve that problem and return to a state of equilibrium. If you've just joined us, our conversation today with best-selling author Philip Yancey. Philip, a number of years ago, along with celebrated physician Dr. Paul Brand, um, collaborated together on a couple of books. And um, now Philip has taken the time to both update and provide a combined edition that, that really in one single book allows the reader to go on this adventure of beginning to explore both the wonder of science and that intersection between faith and science where um, we begin to really understand the tremendous care and attention to detail that our Creator put in us and how that contrary to the notion of some that somehow um, science dispels um, any validity of faith, that in fact science can help complete our faith by by helping to answer many questions. And um, the book here, in a great way, really takes the reader on that journey in a fashion that that is perhaps uh, completely unparalleled, particularly when you've brought together the, the writing talents of someone like Philip Yancey together with the brilliant mind of a physician like Dr. Paul Brand. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation as we visit with Philip Yancey on this edition of Lifeline. All right, we'll get back to more of that visit in a moment. Right now, though, let's visit with KFAX Traffic Center, see what's going on on this Tuesday ride home. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Fearfully and wonderfully, 
The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. That is the title of this new book that's just been released by InterVarsity Press and available at bookstores uh, throughout the Bay Area. Of course, you can also order it online through um, Philip Yancey's website at philipyancey.com. I think particularly as we're back to school now and um, you might have um, children, grandchildren that are to college for the first time, they're going to be exposed to a lot that will run contrary to the faith that they have grown up in. And a book like this, maybe just dropped in the mail with a little note, um, might be really, really critical toward helping them bear up and continue in strong in their faith um, in, in the face of, no doubt, many scholastic experiences that they will have that will try to convince them that uh, instead of man being the creation of God, it's the other way around. Philip Yancey, a number of years ago, co-authored this series of books, two books total, um, with Dr. Paul Brand. And, and, and Philip, I, what I find interesting about this is, you know, uh, physicians in general that, that witness and treat people that are in pain or the, the, the last stages of life, um, and, and maybe even more complex in the case of Dr. Brand, who grew up, his father was a missionary, he grew up in India where he was surrounded by uh, the human condition and suffering everywhere. And yet, in spite of all of this, he managed to retain his faith when so often people will say, well, with all this pain and suffering, how can there be a God? That's true. And when I ask him about that, he says, well, let me tell you some stories of my patients. And these are leprosy patients. And they they know suffering in a way that most of us do not. In fact, I don't know anybody who has that kind of suffering. Where they're kicked out of their village, they're kicked out of their families. In those days, those early days, they were made to live outdoors in a cave somewhere outside a village, and people would bring them a little pot of rice and then run away. They were, even in Old Testament times, people would yell, unclean, unclean, every time they saw a leprosy victim. And there's a great story, Craig, that um, virtually every major advance in the treatment and the understanding of leprosy came about from Christian missionaries, not because they were always the best scientists or best nurses or doctors, but they were even though there were some giants like Paul Brand, but because they were the only ones willing to reach out and touch leprosy patients. And as Dr. Brand told me their, the stories of individual patients, and I met some of them and listened to the stories themselves, I, I heard of, of what God can do to transform people who are upon, who are rejected, who are at the, at the very bottom by any standard of the world uses. No money, no job, no beauty, certainly, uh, failures in every sense. But even there, the image of God can shine forth. And because these missionaries would devote themselves and spend sometimes years working on different surgical techniques to restore movement to a hand, to restore vision, Dr. Brian's wife, Margaret, was an ophthalmologist, because of that, these people were remade, and some of them are some of the strongest Christians I've ever met, the least likely people, people you'd expect to go around just angry and bitter about their plight in life. But they had realized that even I can reflect the image of God. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's something you can't really argue with when you, when you meet these people. You can't say, you should be angry, and, and they're not. They're grateful. I learned from them, and I think Dr. Brand would give that same answer. From what you recall from your conversations with Dr. Brand, um, 
And 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 to your point that the, these amazing people, instead of being uh, driven further away from God, in fact, were drawn closer to Him. I, I would wonder, in your opinion, is that a gift? Is that something that we have to work at? Uh, because the enemy can so easily um, tempt us and try and you know from the very beginning raise doubt. I mean, that's what the enemy's um, mo has been from the very beginning. You know, uh, hath God said, hath God? Um, what do you think? Is that is that a gift, or is that something that that we sort of is that a, is that a spiritual muscle that over time we develop? I like that phrase, spiritual muscle that over time we develop. A lot of it, Craig, has to do with expectations. We live in the modern West. We've conquered so many things that cause pain. Uh, most people, for most of history, have had to kill their own animals for food. You know, we don't do that. We go to grocery stores and buy it in shrink wrap, all cleaned up. And, um, you know, we're 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 insulated from pain and suffering. And so many of the diseases that plagued mankind for most of history have been conquered. And here we are in the United States of America only about 5% of the world's population, but we we consume about half of all the prescription medicines in the world. There are places, as you know, where malaria and yellow fever and tetanus and all these diseases are right. We don't, we don't have to worry about them anymore. But our expectations are that, that we should be pain-free. And so you watch an advertisement on television, and, and this pain reliever will cut your pain in five minutes, not 10 minutes, and it'll last 24 hours, not 12 hours. You know, we're, they're competing to eliminate suffering from our lives. And yet the people who really do suffer, they understand a couple things. They understand that, uh, to use the words of Second Corinthians 1, the God is, God is a God of all comfort. God is not the, go- the God who goes around choosing people to suffer. God represents comfort. And the way we experience that comfort, as Paul goes on to say, is by spreading abroad the comfort we have received to those who are in need. And that's what missionaries in so many places have have done. In India, the population of Christians has never been more than 2 to 3 percent of the total population. And yet for, until recently, almost 25 percent of all the health care was provided by Christian missionaries. That's gone down a little bit because the government keeps taking over Christian hospitals. But um, there are many parts of the world where you say, what is a Christian? And somebody will say, well, I don't know, but there's this band that comes once a week. It's got a cross on it. And when I have a wound or a sickness, they treat it. So we have become, in many parts of the world, Christians are identified as those who bring comfort. It's really in the modern West where everything is climate-controlled, we don't have hot temperatures, cold temperatures. There's always a cure for those. And we don't anticipate experiencing a lot of the suffering that the world does. Oddly enough, we're the ones who write books about why do the bad things happen to good people. Hmm. You don't see that in India and in Africa and, and other places. In fact, just the opposite. It's, it's a real paradox. And what's interesting about this is there there's a fascinating parallel that I'd like to have you address when we come back after the break, that parallel that runs between the physical pain that we feel in our bodies as aging and life happens, and the kind of suffering that takes place that certainly from a 
first century church perspective should be normative to Christianity. That's just part of part of life that we tend to eschew. And it's interesting because from the very beginning, there in the garden, um, once the 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 single taboo. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Once that taboo had been crossed, suddenly then we had to labor to eat, pain at childbirth, death is the ultimate conclusion to life as a result of sin. And we have spent all the millennia since then trying to reverse the effects of all of that. But I wonder if perhaps there's a grander lesson here that God has in store for us. We'll talk about that next. With me today, best-selling author Philip Yancey. He, along with Dr. Paul Brand, collaborated together on a couple of books that became bestsellers. And uh, Philip has come back and combined those two books together and updated them to create Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marble of Bearing God's Image, newly released by InterVarsity Press. Great for a student just returning back to school or anybody who wants to go understand more about that intersection between faith and science. We'll take a time out. Back with more as Lifeline continues. 546, an update on traffic from the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back to our conversation. Best-selling author Philip Yancey with us today, a look at Fearfully and Wonderfully. The Marvel of Bearing God's Image, newly released, updated, and combined, and available now at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, published by InterVarsity Press. I'm curious, we were talking about the perspective that Dr. Brand brought to the notion of pain and, and really putting the whole idea of pain on its heel by suggesting that instead of it being something that we should spend our entire lives eschewing, that in pain, in fact, can be good. Um, it, it can be a warning sign. I mean, aren't we glad that if we lean on a hot stove, that that instant moment of touch, uh, our skin tells us, pull your hand back. Imagine if we just leaned on a stove and had no feelings and just kept our hand there until it got burned to a crisp. Fever, swelling, all of these things act as warning signs, part of God's big plan. At the end of the day, pain is not necessarily our enemy, but in many ways, as Dr. Brand suggested, it can be our friend. I'm wondering if, if the notion of pain was in God's plan from a physical standpoint, is there a degree to which that can be true to spiritually? And I ask that question because if you look at the history of the church, and particularly the model of the first century church, you know, Jesus talked about the church being persecuted for his namesake, how we would be despised and rejected. Even he was was despised and rejected. I'm wondering if there are degrees in which going through spiritual pain can be as helpful to us uh, as physical pain. That's a great question. Pain is basically the best language that the body has to get our attention to something. And uh, that's as you say, with the hot stove illustration, that's easily demonstrated. I'll give you a couple more um, ones which show that pain keeps us from destroying ourselves on a daily basis. A simple one is blinking. The entire time I've been talking to you, every few seconds I blink. Well, that's because there's a little tiny pain cell in my eye, and when it dries out, it, it forces me to blink. I don't feel it. It's subliminal. But if I insisted on holding my eyes open as long as I could, I would feel intense pain. 
And that's what happens to leprosy patients. They don't feel that pain, so they don't blink and their eyes dry out, and about a third of them go blind. Same thing when we shift in the chair, moving pressure from one side of our body to the other side of our body. When we do that, we're preventing bed sores. Bed sores are, are some of the most feared things you get in hospitals because if you stay on the same cells for four or five hours, you eventually kill those cells, the sore develops, and it's very hard to heal because you've also compromised the blood supply. Well, that's how the physical body works. And the spiritual body works similarly in a way. I think the most important thing to remember is that God is not pleased with this planet. God is not pleased with what goes on here. We know that, because when Jesus came, when he met someone who was suffering, he never gave them a lecture, he never said, well, too bad, you're being punished for your sins. He contradicted that. He always responded with comfort and healing, always. And so that's a real strong clue that God doesn't like what's going on here, God's not the cause of it, and God will fix it someday. We have that promise in the book of Revelation. There's a phrase, Craig, that you probably are familiar with from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain. He talks about pain as the megaphone of God. And he says God whispers to us in our good times, but he shouts to us in times of suffering and pain. And I, I know what he meant by that, but that makes me a little nervous. I wince when I hear that phrase, megaphone of God, because the image that comes to mind is of a football coach on the sidelines yelling at his players, okay, 50 more push-ups, you know? Right. Uh, that's how we use a megaphone. And I don't think I don't think God is up there with a megaphone saying, I'll make you suffer, I'm going to give you a four-year-old leukemia. We, no, 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 that, that's not. I'm just follow Jesus around. He would never do something like that. But at the same time, when bad things do happen, it's like we have a little hearing aid, and we can choose to either t- turn up that hearing aid or turn it down. I was in a life-threatening automobile accident about 10 years ago, and uh, I had a broken neck, there were some uh, splinters in the bone, and they were trying to figure out if, the, if one of those splinters had pierced an artery, the carotid artery. And the doctor handed me a phone and said, uh, we've got a jet standing by to fly you to Denver for surgery, but just between you and me, if that artery has been pierced, you won't make it to Denver, so call the people you love and tell them goodbye. Mm. <laughs> just in case. Wow. And and so, as it turned out, I, I ended up uh, strapped to a bodyboard for seven hours, reviewing my life, reviewing uh, what I could learn from this experience. And I decided there are really only three things worth thinking about when you've got maybe a few minutes to live. Who do I love? Who, who will I call on that cell phone? Who do I love? What have I done with my life? And am I ready for whatever is next, if I do die? Those three things. And I thought, man, I should be living with those three things in the forefront every day. But I don't. You know, we get involved in returning emails and doing the to-do list and repairing things around the house, and we just get gobbled up by the ordinary lives. And it takes pain sometimes to make us stop and say, wait a minute, what's, what's important here? How am I living? Am I ready for what's next? And am I showing the people that I love how much I love them? In that way, uh, I see pain as, a, as an opportunity to grow spiritually for sure. It's turning up that hearing aid, listening to it. And even people like uh, Johnny Erickson Tata, who never have that pain removed, 
they can turn it, they can redeem the pain by turning it into a gift to the rest of the body of Christ. She's done amazing things in making the Church sensitive to disability issues. And years ago, and probably throughout her entire life, Johnny would prefer, above all things, to be healed so that she could walk again. She didn't get that gift, even though a lot of people pray for her. And I, I am frankly am more impressed by what Johnny has turned out of that difficult situation than if she had been healed. That's true. And, of course, uh, the, the amazing ministry that she's been given because of her pain and what she's gone through um, has gone so much further beyond what anybody could think of in their most wildest imaginations, the level of impact that she has had. Um, you know, we, we hear the phrase oftentimes, um, a person knows how to, how to die with grace and uh, go through the difficult end of life and, and, and pass away gracefully. Um, Johnny's an example of someone who's demonstrated how to live with grace through the most incredible adversity. And I think a great example for all of us, not only in terms of understanding the role that pain can be in his plan, um, but most importantly, um, just beginning to get kind of beyond ourselves and focus more on him, as you say, focus more on the things that really count, that really matter. This new book, by the way, accomplishes just that. It's it's a deep insight from from a spiritual and scientific realm sort of melded together that helps us better understand not just who we are, but most importantly, who God is. The book is called Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image. This is, if you've heard of the books before, maybe you'll have copies on your shelf, brand new, updated, the combined edition um, that really pays not only homage to the the tremendous work of Dr. Brand, uh, but ultimately, I think, will help deepen the understanding of all, any reader, from that, uh, that intersection of faith and science. Philip Yancey, we appreciate so much, uh, brother, both uh, the great, good work here in your book and spending some time and sharing this with us. It was a delight to be with you again, Craig. Take care now. Philip Yancey, and again, the book, Fearfully and Wonderfully, The Marvel of Bearing God's Image, newly released by InterVarsity Press, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as through Philip Yancey's website at philipyancey.com. Six o'clock. Get a look at traffic for you right here, the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.